0: This episode of the Weekly Standard Podcast is sponsored by The Great Courses. The Great Courses brings the world's greatest professors to your fingertips with more than 500 courses on science, history, philosophy, fine arts, better living, and more. The Great Courses are available on digital download and streaming or DVD and CD. Best of all, you can listen to or watch The Great Courses at your own pace without the pressure of homework or exams. And now, for a limited time only, The Great Courses is giving our listeners an offer of up to 80% off the original price of selected courses, including Latin 101, Learning a Classic Language. For this limited time 80% offer, go to thegreatcourses.com WS to find out more. That's thegreatcourses.com WS. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Mr. and Mrs. North America and all the ships at sea. This is Philip Terzian, literary editor of the Weekly Standard, with my weekly podcast on the books and arts section of the Weekly Standard. And this week we're looking at the May 11th issue of the magazine, uh, which I have in front of me. And heading off the books and arts section is an article, uh, actually a book review, uh, entitled Einstein in Theory, The Scientist as Public Intellectual um, by Gertrude Himmelfarb, uh, the distinguished uh, um, uh, distinguished intellectual historian of, of Victorian England, I should say. And she is reviewing a book entitled Einstein, His Space and Times by Stephen Gimbel which is a, um, a new volume in the Yale series on Jewish lives. And the, the emphasis of the book is not so much on Einstein as a scientist, but Einstein as a human being, a Jew, a physicist, a, a, a public figure, uh, what we would now call a public intellectual. And to some degree, um, Einstein is a kind of transitional figure uh, in the modern world, where we have a scientist a, uh, of consummate ability and genius whose, whose gifts are interpreted in, in such that almost all of his pronouncements on anything are taken seriously, because this, after all, is Einstein speaking. And of course, Einstein, I mean, there was a, there was a considerable public fascination with Einstein after 1920 or so. He really was one of our first celebrity scientists, um, perhaps the greatest of all time, until his death uh, 35 or 40 years ago, uh, years later, rather. But um, his, uh, his purview, of course, extended well beyond uh, the theory of relativity, uh, relatively well beyond the unified theory of the universe, well beyond what he was working on in science. Uh, and physics and mathematics into uh, politics and world affairs and world peace and other global, one might say, universal concerns. And um, it's a a fascinating subject and, of course, handled with consummate skill and insight by Gertrude Himmelfarb. You don't, uh, incidentally, I think in the pages of the book, there isn't a single uh, numeral, you really needn't know anything about physics or mathematics to to appreciate the subject or read the book or uh, or read the the review, um, which, as I say, puts Einstein in a much wider context uh than we usually Albert Einstein in a much wider context than we usually think of him um, uh, beyond Einstein, the physicist beyond Einstein, the prodigy of the uh, theory of relativity. That is followed by a piece by Alonzo Hamby, um, who's a distinguished American diplomatic historian and author of a forthcoming uh, biography of Franklin Roosevelt. But this is a review of a, a book by Lawrence Kaplan uh, entitled The Conversion of Senator Arthur H. Vandenberg from Isolation to International Engagement. Um, Vandenberg is a largely forgotten figure today, but I well recall from my, my youth uh, uh, covering Washington when Gerald Ford was, um, before the Senate in 1973, um, he was the first um, appointed vice president in American history after the passage of, I guess, the 25th Amendment. He was appointed by Richard Nixon, and he had to undergo Senate confirmation. And I can remember when he was asked about his views on foreign policy, he made a point of saying that uh, since he was from Michigan and had been elected to the House in 1948, I think, he regarded his mentor on foreign affairs as the senator from Michigan, Arthur Vandenberg. Vandenberg was a prominent Republican. He was actually a, 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 a journalist originally, an uh, author of several popular biographies of Alexander Hamilton, who was his great hero. But he was a um, uh, Michigan Republican who was the archetype of a Midwestern uh, GOP isolationist. He was the um, really the, one of the leading isolationist um, voices in the Senate in the late 1930s. He was the isolationist great hope in 1940 for the Republican nomination. But uh, during the Second World War, he had a gradual and decisive uh, uh, change of heart and toward the end of the war, he gave a very famous speech on the floor of the uh, Senate um, where he, in effect, announced his conversion from isolationism to internationalism. Uh, That, of course, um, presaged the split in the Republican Party between isolationism and and internationalism, which was more dramatically played out um, actually shortly after Vandenberg's death. He died in 1951. The 1952 election, of course, pitted Robert Taft of Ohio, the other great Republican isolationist, against uh, General Dwight D. Eisenhower. Eisenhower, of course, won the nomination and won the presidency. And I would say that the Republican Party, by and large, since 1952, has been the party of internationalism. While, parenthetically, I should add, um, uh, uh, very slowly and very gradually, the Democratic Party has has lapsed into a kind of isolationism. If you if you look at the two parties today, um, and look at them in 1940, you would you could you could make a reasonable argument that they've switched places on that subject anyway the book uh, this is a book about vandenberg a book about the process of of uh, that went behind his conversion in 1945 and of course he immediately became a bipartisan symbol of 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 the bi- the new bipartisan foreign policy of the truman administration uh, harry truman always made sure to send Whenever there was an American delegation to an international conference, you could be sure that Arthur Vandenberg was there in the picture. So it's an interesting subject worth uh, recounting and worth uh, remembering and an interesting piece, as always, by Alonzo Hamby. That is uh, followed by a piece by Suzanne Klingenstein of a new novel from Martin Walzer called A Gushing Fountain. Um, I'm sorry, not a novel. It's a memoir by... Uh, Martin Walzer, called A Gushing Fountain, which is advertised as a novel, but is in fact a, a memoir. Um, Martin Walzer is not a figure terribly well-known in the United States, but he's one of the um, very prominent um, uh, post-war German novelists, post-Third post, post Third Reich German novelists, along with uh, uh, Gunther Gras, who just died a month or so ago, Siegfried Lenz. Walter kampowski others, um, who are sort of the voice of the, uh, one might say, the conscience of Germany, the good Germans, the post-war Germans, the Germans who who were left intellectually to pick up the pieces after the catastrophe of, of Hitler and the Third Reich. And um, uh, uh, Walzer's book uh, takes him up from, from uh, really before his birth, uh, talks a little bit about his parents, to the end of the End of the second World War, when he was at age seventeen, I think was drafted into um, the Alpine troops at the very end of the war to defend uh, bavaria um, but it, it's a it 's a, it's a, a, a an excellent example of the kind of intellectual torture that has afflicted uh, intellectual Germans since the end of the of the war Of course, Germany, especially since reunification in one thousand nine hundred and ninety has undergone a a kind of intellectual um, reformation, or at least a changing of the guard, and Walzer is now a kind of a voice from the past, but it's the very recent past and if you want to understand much about uh, Germany, uh, the soul of Germany today, um, which of course is to some degree the soul of Europe today, um, you might want to read Suzanne Klingenstein's review of the Walser book. That is followed by a very a, a tragically timely essay by David Guaspari, who writes um, uh, for the Weekly Standard frequently on uh, scientific and mathematical uh, subjects, but he's also a um, part-time mountaineer and recently took a excursion to um, the Himalayas and, in fact, went on a long and very interesting track, guided track, with Sherpas um, to the base camp of Mount Everest, he didn't—he didn't climb Everest, but but uh, uh, just getting to the base camp is uh, is a fairly considerable achievement. And of course, all that he talks about—it's a wonderful essay. It's a wonderfully evocative essay about partly about why people do these things, but also what it's exactly what it's like to do that to approach Everest, um, which makes. Sir Edmund Hillary's uh, initial achievement even the more remarkable, but of course, what's 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 tragically interesting is this all took place on the eve of um, eve of the uh, earthquake in in Nepal, which which of course um, devastated uh, some of the areas that he talks about having very recently visited, and in fact, a couple of the people who led him on the trek, so I'm given to understand, they have not yet been accounted for, although they may. They may all be okay, but we just don't know yet. But anyway, it's an interesting vision of, of Nepal on the eve of this uh, very uh, tragic um, event. The, uh, John Podhortz's uh, movie review this week is of an Israeli movie entitled Get the Trial of Vivian Amsalem. I hope I'm uh, putting the emphasis on the right syllable there. Um, which is an Israeli film of, um, about a, a get, which is, uh, um, please excuse me if I torture my understanding of Jewish law, but uh, at least among Orthodox Jews, a get is, in effect, a, 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 a theological divorce. You can divorce somebody, I guess, in Orthodox Judaism legally, but but um, uh, the religious authorities have to give an, their assent, which also requires the ascent of, of, I guess, both parties in the divorce. And this is this, this is a, a kind of a tragic film about a, a deadlocked uh, divorce um, um, where the husband won't give the, the wife the get that she wants. Um, what's interesting from John's perspective is not only the subject itself, but the fact that it's filmed, it's an intensely uh, melodramatic film and filmed with just a couple of... Of, of shots in use, which is, it's, it, it sounds claustrophobic, uh, but in fact is apparently, um, in John's view, uh, intensely effective and adds to the drama and tension. So, the as I say, the movie is entitled Get, the tri- two T's in Get, The Trial of Vivian Amsalem, um, which is directed by, a, um, I think, a brother-sister Israeli Team Ronit and Shlomi Elkabetz. That is our books and arts section for this week. I thank you very much for taking the time to listen to my uh, description of it for you, and I very much look forward to talking about next week's issue with you next week.